Welcome to Football Never Sleeps, the weekly YouTube show focusing on Notre Dame football during the offseason. Boy, it doesn't feel like offseason today. So much happening, including basketball never sleeping. Micah Shrewsbury is the new Notre Dame men's basketball coach. But we're going to keep this conversation of football tonight. We have so much to talk about on the first day of spring practice. If you want to follow along with us in future weeks, we're not always on Wednesdays. We react to when the biggest news day is of the week. So make sure you subscribe, hit that notification bell, and you'll be able to follow all our content whenever we have fresh content, including notifications for this show. Uh, we also take your questions. We'll work. Make them sure in. you are submit. Make uh, make sure you're submitting questions to us. Um, we uh, we love to answer the questions from you guys as we can uh, throughout the show. Um, if you're not aware of how to do that, um, if you're on your laptop or computer of some sort, make sure you are on the YouTube site to do this. Um, but the, the chat box should be the right hand side. And if you're on a mobile device of some sort, make sure you uh, are commenting in the chat box that's near the bottom of the page. And on a day like this, when there's not been a lot of time to cook, if you want to order us dinner, we would be very happy to eat whatever you pick for us. <laughs> Absolutely. We're, we're open for dinner sponsors. <laughs> our, that's our NIL, our NIL hook. So, um, again, we'll get to your, we'll work your questions in as we get to the different topics and so forth. And today we're going to start off with quarterbacks from today's first practice. Notre Dame held the first of 15 spring practices this morning inside because it was kind of misty and not too spring-like. And uh, that was at 7.55 this morning, approximately. Uh, the Notre Dame media got to see about 25 minutes of actual practice and then all the fun that stretching is. But you do get to see a few interesting things during the stretching, like who the injured players are and there were some interesting people taking in practice, including Kyle Hamilton, Josh Lugg, uh, Blake Groupie, several former players, and a future player, uh, Spencer Schrader, who's a kicker who's going to join in um, join the team in June. So let's start out with the quarterbacks today. Uh, and let's look at observations first, Tyler. What did you observe i know you our eyes are darting all over the place because we're trying to take as much in but when you're watching the quarterbacks uh what were your thoughts yeah i mean sam hartman was sort of what i expected i, I we didn't see a ton of him but i think he i mean he just sort of exudes like this guy who knows what he's doing been here before even though he hasn't been here before literally in terms of being at another day spring practice uh but Going through a football practice seems like uh, second nature to him. Um, has sort of command of that group. Um, certainly there's, um, at least on paper, a competition between him and Tyler Buckner. But I think we all um, know how that is going to end. Um, but we saw some some nice throws by Tyler Buckner as they were as they were working and getting loose and doing some things. Um, Kenny Minchie fit in in that group. I think, I think he's a little bit skinny maybe, but I think he sort of 
we see that a lot when you see a freshman for the first time. You're like, oh, he's not as big as I thought because when you see him on film against high schoolers and then you see him on film or in person with a bunch of college guys, they rarely are like, oh, that's a, that's a mammoth of a man when, unless you're someone like Blake Fisher. Um, but I think uh, we saw um, – I think – a quarterback group that's worth getting excited about for the future for Notre Dame and, and seeing what Gino can do. Gino Gadouli can do with the, that group of guys. What did you see, Eric? Well, I saw um, five quarterbacks wearing red jerseys and all of them being kind of treated the same. You know, I, in the column I wrote about today's practice of our observations, which were really centered on the quarterbacks, you know, um, Sam Hartman, if you didn't know, you know, you wouldn't know who the big expectation guy was in Sam Hartman until you saw them throw deep balls. But um, just going through some of the handoff drills and the stretching and stuff, whether it was the big, big name or whether it was Devin, the new walk on from Louisiana, whose last name we don't know yet. <laughs> uh, and we think he's from Louisiana. We're not absolutely sure you mean you didn't you didn't search the notre dame student directory for all devons and then... <laughs> yeah. yeah i did ask i did try to get <laughs> some information but marcus didn't even know marcus freeman met the guy and we'll we'll mention quickly we're going to get to into some personnel stuff later but ron paulus the third why we are not talking about him is he's no longer on the team he took a medical hardship so he will remain a student at notre dame but he is no longer on the roster I kept waiting for Sam to, you know, kind of show off his arm and it took a long time for them to get to that period. <laughs> and the, it was period number five where they really, which was the, our last period in the practice out of like 18 or 19 that they did today. But when I, when I finally got to see him throw, I went, okay, this is what I've been waiting for. This is, this is a guy. Now, again, no defenders, um, no screaming crowd, you know, none of the things that usually can bother, no pass rush that can bother quarterbacks. But I just felt like, wow, he's in this little sample size. He's what I thought he was. I couldn't wait to see a deep ball and I was not disappointed. The ball really comes out of his hands, very easy hand very easily. He doesn't use two. He uses just <laughs> one, uh, but it's, it comes out of his right hand very easily. And those long throws look effortless. I, I'm eager to see him eventually against defenses and competition and so forth. But uh, uh, he uh, he was impressive in the little bit that we saw of him. And it's interesting, the whole dynamic that Marcus is trying to put together uh, to try to make him the best version that he's ever been. And he feels like this competition and having to kind of earn your spot rather than just being handed to you is going to be part of it. And, and Marcus got into this whole, um, don't be a praise seeker, be a truth seeker, uh, so that you can get the right feedback to help you improve. I thought that was a really interesting conversation, but I think Sam is accepting this. I think he also knows how it will end. I think everybody knows how this movie will end. Uh, and I think it's something to be excited about if you're Notre Dame fans following spring football. 
Yeah, Marcus Freeman sounded like he wants to be a journalist with the, that line about being a truth seeker rather than being a praise seeker. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe there's a Pulitzer in his future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I sort of like that line for maybe an inside any sports uh, uh, tagline. Maybe being we're the we're the truth seekers. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think uh, it's going to be hard to sort of take your eyes away from the quarterbacks. Um, during spring practices because Sam Hartman is new to us um, and the possibilities that he can bring to Notre Dame's offense um, are certainly intriguing and um, tantalizing and how he can help push the wide receivers forward, a a position group that has had some issues so far um, or in recent, in recent years that hasn't necessarily been the the star of the offense. Um, So whatever he can do there to, to help people um, would be, would be good. Uh, so we will see how that continues to progress. Um, and I think it's, uh, I mean, first practice, I'm trying to see as much as possible rather than like focusing on one thing. Um, but what, what little we did see uh, of Sam Hartman and the other quarterbacks was, was promising. I, I should know on a, on a side note, um, I have two adult sons and, the first time we did um, Monday Night Live back in the fall, they both called me during the show, meaning they weren't watching. Well, the oldest one just tried to call me, so he's like, "Well, hopefully he was calling to tell you that he's watching." Oh yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> tell me how good it is, and then there's not some uh, spaghetti hanging from my shirt or something. So, but, but. I think the other thing that's really interesting in that whole dynamic about having the competition and so forth is bringing the other guys along. I mean, the portal delivers you this wonderful quarterback who's maybe the highest ceiling guy since the Brady Quinn, Jimmy Clausen era, but the the portal can take it away too. And if you mm-hmm. don't play this right and show the younger guys that they, they're going to get reps, they're going to be developed, they'll be exiting in May. So, or, or, you know, I'm not predicting that, but I'm just saying, if you don't handle this right generically as a coach, you will lose quarterbacks, uh, even though Sam Hartman's only going to be here a year. Yeah. It will be interesting to see how, how, how much buy-in Gino Gadulli can get in those guys that aren't necessarily going to be starting for Notre Dame this season and um, how committed they are to his vision for them in the future and, and how patient they're willing to be to, to get better and what they can also learn from Sam Hartman. Okay. Eric, we, we, we had some other sort of observations about the different position groups. I know I was, I was sort of trying to take attendance of every position group um, yeah. uh, as, as, as we sort of saw them out there and that's a little bit harder with the number changes, but managed to make um, sense of it. Um, and the first big thing that I noticed was, Hey, Chris Tyrees hasn't, been with the running backs he's strictly with the wide receivers and he is wearing number two so it made him a little bit harder to find but um chris tyree spending time working with the wide receivers marcus freeman said that that's not necessarily a permanent move yet they want to find different ways to get him the football um and that would be um an obvious way to do so given that the running back position was solidified last season with logan diggs and audrick estime and should be getting another boost in and Price returning, who they had high hopes for before he tore his Achilles last June. Um, and then you got guys like Jabron Payne 
uh, who was a freshman last year, and then Jeremiah Love, who will be a freshman joining the team in June. So Chris Tyree has a lot of experience, so it's tough to take that guy maybe away from the running back room. But if he can do other things for you with that experience, I think it's worth um, testing out. And it's something we've talked about throughout the offseason that would make sense for Notre Dame to do it. What were your thoughts on seeing Chris running around with the wide receivers and your thoughts on, I guess, maybe the long-term fit of that position for him? Well, first of all, he looks a little. Notre Dame has <laughs> some big receivers. That little number two looks like somebody's little brother out there, but <laughs> I, I, I like it. I mean, Chris Tyree, when he was a senior in high school, in, in terms of the combines and, and, and certified timing that he did in the 40-yard dash, he was one of, if not the fastest, high school player in the country that was again measured at, at these kind of events um and and he deserves to be on the field i think he um looked a little bit leaner today we didn't get the heights updated heights and weights but i'd be surprised if he was still in the 190s he almost looks like he might be in the high 180s lost a little bit of weight but but given his speed and his versatility the other thing is you can always move him back if there are is a rash of injuries. Chris Tyree can always move back to running back right. and, and be, um, you know, a versatile player. So I really liked that move. Yeah. I think it, I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, one other move that I noticed um, was Alexander Ahrensberger working at defensive tackle. We didn't use one of our precious questions for Marcus Freeman today to ask him about that, but that seems to make a lot of sense with um, Javante Jean Baptiste coming into the program and Notre Dame's, um, putting him as a field end, um, which means he will be sort of working in rotation with Nana Osafo Mensa. Um, and so Aaronsberger at best would be sort of third at that position. And now as a defensive tackle can compete to be maybe the number two defensive tackle behind Riley Mills. Um, a guy with obviously great length, six foot seven, um, not a lot of experience, does have two sacks in his limited action, which have come in garbage time mostly. Um, but I think that um, something to at least keep an eye on. I know everyone's always raved about his like work ethic. Isaiah Foskey was a big Alexander Ahrensberger fan. Um, he wasn't the guy that he shouted out at the NFL Combine earlier this year. That, that went to Jordan Botello, um and, and his excitement about his potential. Um, but uh, that was another move. What do you think? Do you think there's a chance Ahrensberger carves out a role at defensive tackle? I'm curious. I, again, I don't know what his weight is, um, and it it didn't look like he was moving at that field end, and and, it, and there's too many vipers for him to get involved over there. And it seemed like, again, when Mike Elston was here, he was kind of a mildly ascending player, and he really stalled last year, so it'll be interesting. I mean, maybe just a fresh look in a new position. Notre Dame could use the numbers at that position if he turns out to be somebody that can give them some quality depth. Uh, I'm interested to see how that'll play out. And then I, I wouldn't necessarily qualify it as a move because we see offensive linemen shifting around all the time and we don't necessarily know what the, how that's going to play out. But Marco, Michael Carmody was working at guard when I was watching them. They were doing sort of uh, – three linemen together. So center guard tackle, whether it's the left side of the line or the right side of the line, doing some drill work together. Um, and Michael Carmody was working at left guard and Andrew Christoffic was working at right guard with the first team units where they were working next to Joe or yeah, Joe Alt or Blake Fisher on their respective sides. And 
Zeke Carell was working at center. Um, and I believe it was Pat Coogan was the other other number two center that was that was working with the right side of the line. So I'm sure there will be plenty of mixing and matching there. We saw Billy Shrouth and, and Rocco Spindler as the number two guards in, the, in that specific scenario. Um, but I, like I said, I think we'll, we'll see a lot of those guys getting different opportunities. And it sort of makes sense to sort of defer to the guys that have actual playing experience. If you're Joe Rudolph coming in here and say, let's, let's at least put those guys in there first. They've earned this opportunity to sort of be maybe the first to get a, get a crack at it um, and sort of go from there. Do you think Michael Carmody has a chance to carve out a spot there as a, as a potential starting guard? I do. I, I think um, I know when Jeff Quinn was here, he really liked Carmody. He recruited him and felt like he was versatile enough to play really anywhere on the line. He's taken snaps at center before in practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's a. I think he's a really good athlete. I think he led the nation or was one of the leading rebounders in the nation as a basketball player as a senior. His brother was the one that ended up playing on the No Name basketball team, but Michael. Um, was an outstanding basketball player as well in Western Pennsylvania. I, I really think he has a chance. I know we talked about Tosh Baker maybe moving inside. Maybe his body type didn't lend itself to that. But I think Carmody, if he wants to play guard and Joe Rudolph is agreeable to letting him look at, you know, take a look there, I think he's going to be in the thick of things. I mean, at yeah. one point he was deemed to be Notre Dame starting left tackle. <laughs> right. <laughs> so... Yeah, didn't last, I, but it was it happened. Yeah, uh, I think as it relates to B- Baker, I just don't think he bends well enough to get down and play with the the sort of uh, low center of gravity that you need to as a, as a guard because you you got to be a uh, you got to get down in there and, and get underneath guys, and I, I'm not sure that that's Tosh Baker's strength. Mm-hmm. So, from in my opinion, that would be his uh, limiting factor in terms of his potential of playing guard. Whereas Carmody, I think he does a better job of that. Carmody's issue, I think, is sort of the weight and strength. I'm not sure. He, he seems to always have struggled to, like, add weight um, and, and sort of get bigger in that. Now, maybe he's getting stronger without necessarily adding weight. Um, I'd like to to sort of get a better gauge for that um, as, as we go into the spring, especially if he's going to get more playing time at guard. Um, so my, my concern as with that would be, Okay, Zeke Carell is already sort of in that boat of, of being a, a lighter guy that maybe doesn't necessarily knock people over from the center position, which I think you can get away with if you're if your guards are butt kickers. Um, so if Michael Carmody can be a butt kicker, then I think that's fine. But uh, I think yeah. I think regardless of who wins those guard spots, I think that's probably will be. I don't know if anyone will describe them as a butt kicker like I'm doing that, but I think I think the the, the traits and what they're able to do um, will sort of align with that and being guys that can sort of bully guys and be able to dominate at the point of attack and and, and move guys out there and, and create some um, penetration into the defense. Well, I, I do think they have butt kickers at guard. I think Billy Shrouth is right. going to be that. And uh, certainly Rocco talks a, a good game, and I think he's really athletic, and his – issue has been not being assignment correct and you're only as good as your weakest link on the offensive line so Rocco at this point has lost out when he's gone against somebody that's much more assignment correct whether Rocco's the better athlete or not so this spring is about Rocco getting the uh getting that down and maybe Joe Rudolph is the change he needs and that's not a knock against 
Perry. I mean, some I you know, if they were had come to Notre Dame in a reverse order again, maybe just a breath of fresh air is what he needs. I know Liam Meikenberg, when um Jeff Quinn came in, that was kind of helpful for for Liam, who was really struggling to please Harry early in his career. Well, we, we can count Michael Parks as a naysayer for Michael Carmody. He says Michael Carmody is not playing. Um, I understand that viewpoint, um, but I think I think too often we maybe discount some of the guys that have been at, in the program for a while and sort of look past them and sort of want to uh, look at who's the next big thing, like who's the young up-and-coming guy. And I think certainly we're in that category in how we talk about Billy Schroth um, and, and his potential um, at Notre Dame. And I think for a while there that many people thought that about Rocco Spindler. And I think Rocco has almost reached that maybe a bit of an afterthought thought point because he hasn't sort of emerged when there's been opportunities for him there either. So we will, uh, I mean, the guard position will be fascinating. Obviously us is uh, we like to talk about offensive line play. So we will be paying attention to that and um, <laughs> talking about it maybe more than some people would even prefer, but um, that will be, <laughs> Uh, an area. Especially when we have Bob Morton on and, or Aaron <laughs> yeah. Taylor on That's the right. podcast. Um, the last thing we wanted to talk about in terms of uh, position alignment was the safety position. There were no new safeties in the in the group uh, today. No cornerbacks moved over. Um, Clarence Lewis, uh, Ryan Barnes stayed over with the cornerbacks in the early position work. Now, obviously, we were only there for the first five periods, so they could have they could have concealed things from us and. and uh, uh, move guys around once we got there, maybe put Sam Harmon at wide receiver, who knows. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, we, uh, at least from what we saw, those guys didn't move around yet. Um, I wouldn't rule that out. Marcus Freeman, when talking about Brandon Hillman today and the fact that he was no longer to get into, uh, wasn't able to get in. Well, Marcus Freeman didn't say this, but uh, Brandon Hillman has since said it, that he was he was denied admissions to Notre Dame in a story with The Athletic. Um, and that was that is what led to his release from his national letter of intent from Notre Dame when he's since signed with Michigan. Um, but in speaking to that, Marcus Freeman said, "Hey, we have this. We have the spring to sort of decide if we need to go out and address well, if we need to get another safety in the transfer portal, or maybe it could be a guy on their own roster that they move. That's all sort of still still to be determined. Um, so um, no news on that front yet. So then." All kinds of personnel roster churn today. Um, and I guess we'll start with the medical hardships. Um, there were three of those. So, Tyler, why don't you tell us about who's no longer on the roster because of medical reasons? Yeah, so there were three players that that have been medically retired. Um, Will Schweitzer, a linebacker, and all three of them are – Current sophomores would have been juniors going into next season, would have still had sophomore eligibility going into next season, um, uh, and uh, will still remain on scholarship at Notre Dame, still be students, um, and they will uh, be able to um, go to class just like they normally would. But And usually those guys hang out and be a part of the team. Some guys will sort of turn into almost like player coaches and, and help out in some ways or be like a – uh, almost like a student manager kind of situation. Um, so the three guys um, I mentioned, Will Schweitzer, he announced on Twitter and maybe even Instagram what he was dealing with. He he had discovered that he had a heart condition um, last September. Um, and so that explained why he didn't play at all last season um, and is stepping away 
um, from playing football. Safety Justin Walters is another guy that we didn't see much last season, um, and he has medically retired as well. And so has quarterback Ron Paulus III, who um, did not play in his first two seasons at Notre Dame, didn't play in a game at all, um, which isn't surprising when you're a, ba- a, a deep backup quarterback. It's not like they put a lot of quarterbacks in the game. Uh, but he uh, will be medically retired. He was still listed on the roster this morning, but uh, it was shared with us after practice that he um, has medically retired as well. We didn't see him at practice. Um, and so uh, those guys are no longer – helping with the team, at least in a playing role. Um, and we'll see if they, they find a way to sort of stick around the program and help out. Um, I did see a, once Will Schweitzer um, shared his message um, on, on social media, a lot of players seem to really like him and we're, and we're sharing his message and sharing support with him. So that's always kind of neat to see, because that, that is a tough decision. I, I, I mean, at a much different level, but I stopped playing college football after one season because uh, of some knee issues, and that was a that was a a tough time to go through things uh, as as someone who loved football as much as I did. So um, I, I uh, my thoughts are with those guys that are sort of hanging up their cleats and not being able to get out there with their buddies and 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 playing the sport that they love. And I didn't play college football because no one would let me. I had not the talent level that was needed. <laughs> Let's uh, we have some we have some questions in here related to the other guys. So this one is from Ron Robert. And after we, uh, we can go through the guys after, after I read this question, Ron Robert asked the three players who didn't take the medical release, were either of you surprised by any one of them to not stay through spring ball to see what would happen specifically Riley. Um, so I can run through the guys real quick, uh, Eric, and then okay. I'll let you chime in in terms of what you thought, if you were surprised by them. So the three guys that are no longer with the team, which I believe will end up with them likely in the portal. Once it opens in May, um, is cornerback Philip Riley, offensive tackle Caleb Johnson, and kicker Josh Bryan. Um, so all guys that were sort of buried on the depth chart, especially Caleb Johnson, <laughs> just unfortunate to be the third tackle in a class with with Blake Fisher um, and Joe Walt. That's just a uh, tough luck there. It's hard to hard to see a path to playing time there. Um, and and obviously Notre Dame has recruited past Josh Bryan with bringing in grad transfers at the kicking position in the last two years. Um, and cornerback Philip Riley was a bit buried as well. Were you surprised by their decisions to not be on the team for the spring, Eric? No, I, I mean when I had to do the scholarship math, I you know you made me turn it into you, who I thought that people transferring would be, and uh, <laughs> those three were all on my list. And and some of that it's just deductions, especially like in Riley's case where younger players are leaping over you in the depth chart. That's difficult. It's one thing to be behind older players. It's a different thing if younger players. A boy, Philip Riley was, I remember that was a big deal signing him, and it just never uh, turned out for him. We had, um, you know, Caleb Johnson. What a great interview he was. He he did a really cool little video. All the freshmen in this class did, and his was one of the most entertaining Yeah, But again, there wasn't, you know, they were recruiting over him. There were, you know, two guys in his class ahead of him. You got um, Jaguza coming in in June. You got Tai Chan. I mean, these really stud offensive tackles. And you you have to think, okay, do I want the Notre Dame degree or do I want a chance to play somewhere? And then Josh Bryant. I mean, that was, it was clearly 
his job last year or this year if he was making field goals or extra points and he wasn't even in the picture. I, I, you know, not even for kicking off. So uh, it's, it's unfortunate, but I think those guys are making the right decision. Uh, thank you, Eric. <laughs> uh, I'm full of, uh, of bundles uh, bungles today after forgetting the memory card for the camera at practice today. Uh, so the fact that I kept myself muted there for a second um, shouldn't be surprising. Um, what I was saying was that it, I imagine that these players sort of had the, the writing on the wall read to them by the Notre Dame coaching staff. Like they were aware of their situation and their, their future with the program. And so um, they decided that it would made more sense to them to not, go out there and put their body on the line and practice and, and, and have to go through some of the things you're asked to go through as a football player and maybe prepare on their own to, to transfer and, and start to look into that process, even though they're not in the transfer portal yet. Um, and so I think maybe making it a little bit of an easier semester for themselves. I mean, I think I could, I could be convinced either way. I don't, I don't, what I can't be convinced of probably is that those guys were going to make an, a, an impact on Notre Dame's team going into next season. Um, so that's why it doesn't probably make a lot of sense for them to, to be out there and practice and, and, and doing things with this Notre Dame team. And um, I would imagine if Notre Dame felt that way, they wouldn't be taking reps away from guys that they felt could impact the team next season. Um, and so their, their reps would be limited. Um, and uh, I don't know that, that it would, be necessarily worth their time um so a, a question that's related uh to what we've discussed here recently um in terms of the roster attrition uh smoking scott says last i heard we were at 93 scholarship but in today's press conference i thought i heard coach say we were down four players no longer with the program i read earlier about the linebacker out so where are we i believe it's 87 is where they are they don't that's have to correct. be to 85 until the first day of fall semester class, which is sometime in August, um, usually two thirds of the way through August. And, but I think Notre Dame may add. Um, right. And so they'll, they'll get higher. I, I maybe one or two players after the spring. Um, and there will be people that are competing for jobs that don't get them that aren't happy about that that'll then consider the portal. So I don't think there's any concern on Notre Dame's part about them getting down to that 85, but 87 is the current number. Yeah, I know that like we've, we've been talk we've talked about this throughout the off season and people are like, are they really going to get down from that number? And I was like, yeah, they, they have a plan for this. It's just, it has to sort of work its way out. Um, and it's, they seem to always get there. It did seem like it was a lot this year, more than normal. And the fact that, so many guys didn't go in the portal when it was first open. That guys sort of waited into the spring and sort of see things out was a bit surprising and made me raise some eyebrows, at least from the outside. So um, I think that it makes sense that Notre Dame um, has sort of calculated this right. It's good to see that. Um, and like you said, I think they'll probably add a grad transfer to or maybe a regular transfer. Who knows? We get real crazy. Um in, in the in the summertime and then uh uh they'll probably have some guys i think you can sort of look at which position groups like offensive linemen i would imagine there's probably be another offensive lineman that would hit the portal eventually given how 
the competition plays itself out, maybe another defensive lineman um, and maybe a defensive back. Those would be the positions that I would, that I, I would pinpoint as most likely to see some, some more attrition. Um, could not, be not a line, there could be a linebacker. Could be a linebacker as well, but so not to name names. Cause I don't, I, I, I get a little uncomfortable naming guys specifically right. because it, that's up to them what they want to do and how they see themselves in the program. Not for me to tell them what to do. Uh, but uh, I think uh um, those would be the position groups that we would be keeping an eye on in terms of losing some guys um, moving forward. Okay, and then uh, we we talked a little bit about Hillman opening up about why he's not at Notre Dame, combined with um, Justin Walters uh, being in the medical situation. Notre Dame isn't, again, really in danger with without an injury um with their numbers at safety they've got a couple of freshmen uh one who just has shoulder surgery one who i'm really eager to see in ben minnick and then the four four older guys all of whom could be gone after this year so you really need somebody that's i mean i don't know that a grad transfer is your first choice i think you may have to settle for that uh, to get the numbers up, but you'd really like somebody with multiple years of eligibility. Um, and again, when you look at uh, Thomas Harper, who's who's nursing a sore shoulder uh, from his own surgery at Oklahoma State, he's more of a nickel than he is a, a true safety. So, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what they can find in the portal in May and if they go that direction. Again, as Tyler mentioned, we may see one of the corners move over. Now that Philip Riley's gone, you have a little bit less depth there, but there's still some pretty good numbers at that position. Yeah, um, Eric, I know you had your eyes in the pit and you were deemed to ask Marcus Freeman about them specifically in the pit. For those who don't know, um, are the players who are injured and working their way back to being able to practice. Um, there's not a physical pit that they have to they have to <laughs> gather in. It's usually around, at least to, for the start of practice, around the stationary bikes, and they'll do all kinds of different workouts that they can do that um, don't inhibit their recovery um, and allow them to stay in shape and continue to get stronger. Um, uh, so can you provide us with a list of which guys were out and what their prognosis is in terms of um, returning potentially this spring? <laughs> I'm laughing because only the scholarship players, not the walk-on. I, <laughs> I asked Marcus about that, and he didn't, had no idea who it was. Um, <laughs> well, to, so, to be fair, he didn't. He didn't know who any of the guys were. He needed you to recite all their names. Yeah, he, was just he like, did. Give Give me the names, and then I'll tell you. And then you're like, and there was a walk-on. It's like, well, how am I supposed to know who that was? <laughs> yeah, and Brian Kelly eventually got used to my questions, so we would have it all written down. He would have to <laughs> consult the paper, but yeah. he'd have it written down so you had the you had two tight ends you had um kevin bauman and eli reared and both of those guys coming back from acls eli came back super fast from his acl the first one he had when he was a high school senior that probably being more methodical this time uh so he's completely out so is kevin bauman so that's a lot more reps for the guys that are around like holden stays and and Mitchell Evans and, and that group. Um, then you had um, a couple of freshmen who just had shoulder surgery. Uh, Devin Houston, defensive line, early enrollee, and 
Adon Schuler, the safety, who would have really benefited from some reps, but he had some shoulder cleanup. So those two are both completely out for spring other than, you know, riding the stationary bikes. The one guy that may come back and do some things, and he's already doing cleared for some running, is Jadarian Price, who had an Achilles injury. Gosh, that was last um, – when was that? Was that last spring, Tyler? His, his, his Achilles injury was in yeah, June. Yeah, in June. It was in June. Because he, he, was, he was one of the stars of the Blue Gold yeah, game. Yeah, he was the star of the Blue Gold game, uh, or a star. Um, and so they seem to be – eager to get him back. I don't know how much contact he'll take, but it sounds like that's the one of those five guys. And then there's a walk-on who I couldn't identify even with binoculars. So um, so we'll eventually get that. I'm sure he'll be there most of the spring, so we'll get an update on that. He, he's he got to be a younger walk-on because I, I usually get pretty good at identifying them, but I, I, even I couldn't figure out who it was exactly. So he, he must be, or at least I guess I'm hoping, or maybe he's a new walk-on that just joined the program that I, that's already injured that I'm not aware of. So um, uh, I apologize to whoever that is, and uh, we will work to get your name correct in the future, although I'm sure you, that person would rather not be known for being the guy riding the stationary bike. Right, and then there's guys that were fully – uniformed up today um i i was fully dressed always sounds a little weird like were there naked people there but uh uh cam hart and um thomas harper notably are two guys that participate in everything today but they're not in contact yet and they will not take contact did we have some others i asked marcus about that i can't remember what his answer was if there were more in that maybe he just blew that part of the question off I don't think I don't think there were others. That's all that came to mind to me. At least that's all that I've okay. I've I've written down for my story that is yet. Well, to be when I get yet. into these multi-part questions, I think <laughs> sometimes it's easy to leave parts off. So no problem. But, but those two in particular, because they have they have some, they're coming back from some shoulder injury, so they won't be taking contact this spring. And then I mean, there there's even little coaching transactions. Uh, Right. Mike Mickens and Dylan McCullough each got kind of mini promotions. Mike Mickens is now the defensive passing game coordinator, and Dylan McCullough, the running backs coach, is now the uh, offensive run game coordinator. Um, and, and the really interesting thing about the assistant coach is, you know, Marcus was asked about, you know, the three that left: Tommy Reese, uh, Harry Heastan, who retired, and then. Uh, Brian Mason, who went to the pros, he said all 10 of his assistants at least had a job offer from job interest from another college or the NFL or both, which is amazing. That's an amazing statistic. If you have to kind of fend off all those people from trying to poach your assistant, you must have good assistants or, um, you're not paying them enough. And I know it's not that it's, it's, they have very good assistants that they're willing to try to lure away. Yeah. And even the assistants that, that we think maybe didn't have the best seasons, they still get interest from other, other programs as well. So um, that was a, an interesting little nugget that Marcus Freeman shared with us. I know some people, there was some reaction. I think, I think it was, might've been Brian Ma- around the time that Brian Mason left or like, how is someone leaving a 
four win team or four loss team uh, to to be able to like how can someone think they're good when they're coaching for that team? It's like well you can do an incredible job coaching your position and the team could still stink. Like that's not like Notre Dame's overall record um, probably should have been better than what it was. And I think anyone that watched the last season is like there's no reason that Notre Dame should have lost to Marshall or should have lost to Stanford. I think I think anyone that is being honest or fair, I think probably would say that like that's and maybe and that that does come down to coaching the coaches i think failed the team i think certainly the players needed to play better as well but um that's not that doesn't mean that those guys aren't bright coaches or that they don't have bright futures um so it is sort of uh validating to the staff that that marcus freeman put together um the amount of interest that um other teams are showing and i i I wonder how much of that is due to like the nfl is like really eyeing some of these college coaches because it's seen how trendy it is for these college coaches to leave for the NFL, where maybe that wasn't that. I think there was always some guys that would like to get to the NFL that are in college football, but I think it's become even more attractive for college coaches, given the sort of climate around college football with NIL um, and uh, the transfer portal and everything that sort of comes with being a coach, basically 365 days a year when it comes to recruiting and everything that comes with that. So the NFL is certainly um, taxing, but I think uh, it might not be quite as taxing in the same way. Do we need to catch up with some questions before we move on? Or yeah, we can we can hit some questions here again. Uh, let's start with Stanley Watkins. He, Stanley asked a question fairly early. Now that you have seen a practice, first impressions of quarterbacks, wide receivers, and safeties. We already talked about quarterbacks. So let's talk about wide receivers and safeties. What, was there anything of note that you saw from those positions? Um, be, beyond Chris Tyree, uh, you know, uh, Tobias has changed numbers. He's number five now. Yep. Uh, you know, in the, in the, we didn't get to see them go against yet um, somebody on defense. That's where you really can kind of measure mm-hmm. their speed and their agility a little bit more. They have the advantage in that drill. But it's still very interesting. That's something that Brian Kelly often did in the early periods that Marcus Freeman doesn't. And honestly, with them all crammed inside today, there wasn't really the room to do those kind of drills today. But, you know, and watching Chancey Stuckey run the drills and so forth, I was impressed. You know, I thought it's a real athletic group. It's a big group now. Suddenly going from like five people in practice to <laughs> right. double digits is, is amazing. And, you know, I was watching the freshmen and um, I, I think the guy that moved better than I expected was Rico Flores. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought he was faster than I thought. You know, Jaden Greathouse was about what I expected. Braylon James, I'd like to see him run some deep patterns and see what that looks like. Boy, I'll tell you, there was Stanley, there was a... Um, um, I, do we have it on our site? There's the highlight reel. Yeah, I put it on the, I put it on the message board. Okay, so it's on our site, but but there's a <laughs> uh, video from today's practice where Dion Colsey makes an insane catch over um, uh, Benjamin Ben Morrison, Morrison. and uh, it was uh, something to to really behold. Now again, we're we're seeing a sale. There could have been ten plays where Ben Morrison dominated him, but right. But that's the one you get on the highlight film. But I was impressed. The safeties. I didn't watch them 
very much to be honest with. I just kind of glanced to see who was in the group. Uh, and then I was looking at other things. I really watched the quarterbacks more than anything else today. Cause I knew that that's what I eventually would want to write about today. But uh, next time I get to see the safeties, I'll give you a full report. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't spend a lot of time I, other than figuring out who was to see if there was any new safeties. I didn't spend a lot of time seeing like what they, how they were performing and they were just doing some pretty basic drills that I don't know that I have the eye to be able to tell you, okay, um, Thomas Harper is really doing this great. Um, or, uh, uh, DJ Brown looks a lot better doing this than he did last year. Um, they just weren't doing enough, at least in the portion where I'm watching. I mean, we were talking about being there for five periods and we're, tr- you're trying to see as much to get a, bit, a little bit of information about everything rather than, um, trying to, dive in deep because we don't we don't get that many opportunities to see them and, and especially on the first day you want to see who's where um and that's an important part of that um, we get one practice other than the blue gold game i believe it's a week from saturday where we'll have the full run of the practice and that's when we'll get a much better idea where we can kind of give you um you know where we see competitive periods right it, you know when everybody looks good when they're jumping around and their coach is throwing them in the ball or whatever <laughs> well, uh, not always but not always <laughs> but but in general uh like but but you know once you get in those competitive periods that's where you start to see okay this guy's got a chance to move up the depth chart this guy's moving down this guy's probably going to be in the portal um you know it it's it's just better marcus's practice was structured very different today than I can remember any of the spring or the fall practices last year. There were some periods early where there were offensive and defensive players, but again, it was more patty cake today because you had, didn't have the pads on. It wasn't, you know, hitting each other and so forth, but that was kind of interesting that there were some different patterns and he's obviously trying to change things and improve things. Um, as he goes along and learns more about being a head coach and designing practices. Yeah, and either one or two of the first periods were uh, for special teams, but working with right. Marty Biaggi. And I, I, my brain isn't smart enough to know if they were trying to do punt coverage or kickoff coverage, but they like three guys lined up behind each other, um, and then they like spread out, and then it would kind of converge on the returner. So I don't know if that makes more sense as a punt or kickoff. I, 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 couldn't I was tell you. guessing it was a kickoff just based on that Tyree was involved in that. Although maybe he could be involved in punts. Who knows this year? Yeah. But uh, I'll tell you, Marty um, Biaggi, the new special teams coordinator, boy, he looks like he has had lots of caffeine when he's out there. <laughs> he's bouncing. Yeah, very, very active and animated. Um, I wanted to add, with the wide receivers, I, I like that you mentioned Rico Flores and he's someone that's coming off a foot injury, um, at the end of his senior year. So I was asking him when we talked to him, how, how if he'd be ready to go and he was confident that he would be. So I, um, it's good to see that that confidence was, was, uh, rightfully so because he did look pretty good. And if that, that clip that Eric was mentioning that had the Dion Colsey catch, um, it is from Notre Dame's football or from the Notre Dame university of Notre Dame, Notre Dame fighting Irish is the name of the YouTube page. Um, their official um, YouTube of, of the, the athletic department. Uh, that's where that video is. It's only like 43 seconds. So there's not a ton of stuff in there. They squeeze some stuff in there, but the very, the last catch at the very end, which is kind of hard to make out who it is. I'm fairly certain that is Rico Flores making that catch as well. It's a nice catch on the sideline. I think Kenny Minchie was the quarterback who threw the pass. Um, 
So I would go check that out. Uh, the, we we didn't get to see those types of plays when we were at practice, so we always try to get as much but more. But boy, did they stretch like champions! <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, one thing that I, when I was just sort of looking through guys, making sure who was always there, I had to do a double take that Jaden Greathouse was Jaden Greathouse. I expected him to look bigger on the field than he did, at least from the view. Now maybe I just like didn't look at it long enough, or I caught him next to someone that was really big, and so that's why he didn't look as big. Um, but I was a little like, oh, I expected Jaden Greyhouse to look a little bigger than he did. Um, but that's just a very small thing. And he could, well, he could yeah, I mean, but the, you, you're right. But I mean, if he's next to Tobias, who's 6'5, right? Halsey, who's 6'4, 6'5, Braylon James is 6'4, 6'5, and then Jaden Thomas is a truck. Uh, so, yeah. uh, it you can look tiny next to those guys. All right, uh, let's get to another question here from Andrew Gillis. What are some misconceptions that fans slash outsiders have about spring practice as a whole? Do they expect too much, think certain things are done that aren't, et cetera? I think maybe they're misconceptions in terms of and, – and it changes. I mean, we saw a lot more practices when Brian Kelly was the head coach um, than just about anybody else that I can remember – going all the way back to maybe Bob Davey, Lou Holtz, when things were a lot more open and there was no internet. But uh, I think people expect that they're scrimmaging all the time, where so much of it is drill work right, and, and stretching and other things that are not as exciting and not as telling. Uh, you know, they don't want to get beat up uh, and lose people in the spring to injuries. Uh, so they're trying to be smart about how they practice. It seems like the practices when we've looked at the practice times too, are a little bit shorter. I think Brian Kelly went into the twenties in terms of periods, five minute periods. And today was like 18 or 19. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure, uh, other misconceptions. Uh, but, um, I think that, if you watched every practice every day, you would know a lot more about the team than interviewing anybody. But again, the the, the periods that they have us in for, you can get, you know, little snippets of ideas about players. But until you see them in competition, it's just, it's really difficult to conclusively um, say, well, so-and-so is is looking like this and and so forth yeah i think like anyone that thinks that we sh we will have grand proclamations i know william sullivan asked a question about expectations for the season whether it's 11 or 1 or 10 or 2 i, I made a joke when we when i first got into the interview room wait when we were waiting for marcus freeman i asked tim o'malley of irish illustrates i said all right, Tim, what do you think what's the record next season <laughs> like we i didn't we don't see enough uh to to be able to to gauge that um but in terms of like what's actually happening for the program and for the players and the coaches, it's definitely important. I don't know that there's a lot, not a lot gets solved in the spring. I guess I would say like there is progress made, but there's, there's not a lot of definitive things because it's right. just like, it's just a step in the process. It's not like we need to decide who are all of our starters at this position, this position and that position by the time yeah. we get done here in the end of April. I say spring is not for conclusions. It's for impressions. So it gives you ammunition kind of over the summer. Okay, this is what we really need to get 
uh, fixed in the fall. We mm-hmm. need to get uh, concluded in the fall. And even now it informs you about whether you need to jump into the transfer portal right. in that second batch yep. of players in May. Um, I think, though, that there's a lot of teaching going on, a lot of fundamentals. I wrote this the other day. that There needs to be strong player development. Um, you know, you can make up some in the recruiting gap by being a really good developmental team. You really need to do both. But, boy, if you are not developing your players, and I think, um, you know, in the gist of the story was maybe the last couple of years the Brian Kelly teams weren't maybe developing as as well as they had at one point because that was really Brian Kelly's hallmark during his 12 years there. But the last couple, when you kind of look at some of the classes that mm-hmm. should have been draft picks, the 2018 class and the 2019 class, uh, out of that group, there's 17 guys that were top rivals, 250 players. And so far, one of them has been drafted and that's Kyle Hamilton out of 17. And there's not a really slam dunk among any of the others. Maybe Jason Adamalola, maybe Phil Jakovic, who's at Pitt now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's there's some guys that have already, you know, they've already, football's passed them by. I mean, Houston right. Griffith, out of all those players in those 17, including Kyle Hamilton, he was the highest rated, and he's he's not going to be drafted. Yeah, um, yeah, I, certainly not a great in terms of their development. I would like maybe there were some recruit, recruiting ranking misses there as well. Not to criticize, it can be no, that, that's part of it. Sure, um, I don't know. I, I would be interested to see like what other people rank them versus our rivals rankings. Now we 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 uh, we defer to rivals rankings now because that's who uh, we work with and we appreciate those guys very much. Uh, but I'm, I'm always interested in sort of well, where the disagreements come in. There, yeah, there I, were some where it's obvious, like Litchfield, Ajavon, that was a mess. Right. And, yeah, that and was a miss. You, you knew that his freshman year. <laughs> and Olmstead, who who ended up at Lafayette, right. uh, offensive lineman, that was a mess. But, I mean, a lot of these other guys, Shane Simon, I mean, those are players everybody wanted. I mean, they're, right. they had incredible offer lists. So a lot of people were wrong on those evaluations besides rivals, if they were wrong. Sure. Um, we got one more question here. Um, this one was submitted on the Insider Lounge, so I put it in f- for us from LDL Go Irish. Does any player look physically different from last we saw him? Well, Chris Tyree, I mentioned that one already. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a good up-close look. Our photographer took some pictures. Um, I'm trying to think. Jaden Thomas looked pretty well put together. <laughs> Jaden Thomas. He, he was never like not he didn't ever I think last season he looked pretty pretty good, but I thought he looked yeah. he looked he looked he like looks a million like a, he looked like a million bucks today, I think. He, he yeah. was like, wow, who's Jaden Thomas? Like who's that guy? Um and uh we'll we'll see if he can match. I didn't look at play. the DBs that much. I mean, I, I'm curious. You think of Ben Morrison, he's pretty spindly last year. Right. And once he starts putting on some muscle and then plays like he does, woo, I'm eager. That's somebody, you know, I think as our photographer gets more pictures, I think that's an easier way to see them than, you know, from binoculars sitting up on the second level of the Irish Athletic Center. I think we can see them a little bit better when we see photos. So as those come 
drifting in. Uh, we'll give yeah, you I think, answer on that. Um, Nana Osafo Mensa, I think, looks pretty good. I, I think he he continues to develop in a way that's intriguing to me. Um, uh, Marcus Freeman spoke highly about like sort of his leadership um, when I asked about the defensive line, and he's a guy that's a very vocal guy. Hasn't been a very productive player for Notre Dame, but was did have some action last season. Can he sort of take take the next step um, as a player? Um, I think he's he's garnered more respect within the program from his coaches and and his teammates. Um, so I'll be interested to see if that his his growth translates into um, some more playing time for him this season. Yeah, I mean, there's guys like Aiden Gobira and Josh Burnham. I want to get a good look at those guys because and Tyson Ford. Because I would expect those guys to push up the depth chart. All right, I got, I got a question for you. So when when Marcus was answering my question about the defensive line group, he started to name guys, and the first guy he said was Aiden, um, and then he was blanking on the last name. Do you think I was right when I said Gobira, or was he thinking of Kiana Ina and just didn't couldn't remember how to say his last name? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wondered about that because I thought. He was going to come back and say the other Aiden, and I think he just thought, you know, one Aiden is enough <laughs> in there. But, yeah, I, I did wonder if he didn't know how to say Kiana Aina. Uh, but I would think, I mean, of those, they're, they're both really interesting guys. Gobira was a really fast-rising guy at the end of his recruiting cycle. He was a three-star when Notre Dame offered him. Mm-hmm. He did really well in his all-star practices and, game and and he really elevated into a top 100 player in Kiana Ina is interesting because he's a really true fire plug nose guard a six foot three guy that's well over 300 pounds 322 as of last year he's also coming off an injury so I think he was talking about Gobira Aiden Gobira all right um is there anything we want to try to squeeze in here? We started a little bit late, so we can maybe go for a couple more minutes. I know we talked about a lot. Is there anything on your rundown, Eric, that you think is worth highlighting before we let, I, let everyone go? I think maybe just a little bit, tease a little bit of recruiting. We had Pot of Gold Day on Friday where all these offers went out, over 60, I mean, over 70 offers, some of them re-offers. Um to some of the top players in the 2024 class or 2025 class. There was one 2024 there. I'm going to be writing about him this week. Uh, Justin Denson, a defensive back from New England. He he played high school ball in Rhode Island. He's going to go to a prep school next year and be like in 13th grade. It'll be an extra year, <laughs> but he's all of a sudden picking up offers right and left. Um, and, uh, you know, we got, I wrote about the quarterbacks. I think that's noteworthy. The four offers um, to the quarterbacks, including Cutter Bowley. Uh, he was the highest rated of the new quarterback offers. He's the number 12 player overall, six foot five kid out of Lexington, Kentucky. His older sister played one season of basketball at Notre Dame, then moved on to Oregon. Uh, and he, when is he visiting, Tyler? Is it this month or next um, month? Let me see. I got the list Off the here. Top of your head. I got the list in front of me. It is this weekend. He will be here the 25th, so that is Saturday. Right. But they, they've they got some really good quarterback prospects. They've got now a total of seven offered. So it'll be interesting to see how Gino Gadulli plays this in terms of trying to keep a lot of guys interested instead of just 
zeroing in on one of those 2025s. Uh, there were recruits there today. March and April are, are going to be a lot of uh, recruits. Anybody that's notable that you want to mention that's worth monitoring coming in? Yeah. Uh, so in terms of today, the guys that were offered Bodie – Bodie Cahoon, uh, I'm not exactly sure if that's how you say his last name. I need to figure that out. Um, but he was he was offered before he came on campus. He's a 2024 linebacker, uh, 2025 defensive end. Gus Ritchie was on campus as well today, and he added an offer while on campus. He's out of North Carolina. Um, in terms of guys still expected to come in this weekend, um, Nazir Wyatt, a linebacker out of Modern Day High School, I'm really interested in him. Notre Dame has not had a lot of success recruiting out of Modern Day but it certainly offered a lot of guys out of that school um, because they are so talented. Um, so we'll see what comes of that. Um, like you mentioned, Cutter Bully, the quarterback target. Um, they're able to have some 2024 targets on, on campus this weekend. Uh, the most notable, obviously, is five-star defensive tackle Justin Scott. Now, hopefully, he, he follows through on that visit um, and doesn't have a change of plans as he did a couple times in January. Um, but some 2024 targets, a bunch of 2025 targets will – um, discuss some of those later in the week on InsideNDSports.com. We have our, our running visitors list um, for our subscribers on the Insider Lounge that we are constantly updating, so make sure you head over there for that. Um, before we get out of here, Roger Jodger had a comment I wanted to, to let you give you. If ND had more than 85 scholarships, then it's a violation. I'm sorry. What's the question, though? <laughs> I'm asking you to tell him why he's wrong. That you don't have to be to 85 until the first day yes. of fall semester classes. So you yes. could be at 160 right now if you wanted to. Right. You could have Tyler James on scholarship. Well, a second get, chance to finish his career. Let's let's not get out of control, Eric. Come on. Um, okay. What I what I'd like to comment. Somebody asked us about. What the basketball coach? So we'll go to basketball. Never sleeps. Just for one question. Okay. No I problem. like the hire. I like the hire of Micah Strews. I'm going to call him Strawberry. Micah. Micah. <laughs> I like Micah Shrewsbury. Shrewsberry. Again, it sounds like a Schnozberry. made up flavor. Yeah, from from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. But yeah. I, I like his the way that he was able to elevate that Penn State program very quickly. And and solidly, I mean, they added eight players this year. Uh, now they have they have an All American on their team, but he was a guy that was a developmental guy. He was a one time mid major transfer himself that went from being a preseason All Big Ten pick to being a second team All American. But but they had eight newcomers. They had um, five freshmen. It was the highest ranked Penn State class ever. And then they added three transfers. They had three kids signed in November, one of whom is Micah's son, who's a guard. I mean, he's not a five-star guy, but he's he's a pretty good player. You know, so at least Notre Dame will have Marcus Burton and, and uh, the young Shrewsbury on the team. But I think he's going to be able to keep most of the players if not all of them that have stuck around to see, I think he'll win them over. I like his blend of experience. He's got, he was an assistant with the Boston Celtics. He's coached small colleges, big colleges, power five programs as a, an assistant. So I really like that. I, I, I think that this is um, something to be excited about. 
Yeah, his head coaching experience is limited in terms of he had two seasons at Penn State and then two seasons way back when at IUSB of all places here in town. Um, uh, So those were his four seasons as a college basketball head coach. Um, But yeah, experience at at different levels, having been an assistant coach at Purdue a couple times. He's from Indiana. I like that a lot. Like they're, Notre Dame should be able to recruit three three guys out of Indiana every year. <laughs> Get one walk on and two scholarship players out of Indiana, um, and then find find a guy somewhere else uh, that you can bring in from from out of state. But um, I, I just think that there's so much talent in the state, and he certainly has a lot of ties to the state, having coached here um, and grown up here. He's an Indianapolis Cathedral High School graduate, um, so from the Indianapolis area, and uh, yeah, I think. Like you mentioned, and I, I've detailed it in, in our story on InsideIndieSports.com, uh, sort of what he did when he inherited the program at Penn State. Um, there were a lot of guys that had already entered the transfer portal. Some did leave, but he was able to talk some guys into staying, and those guys ended up making big impacts on the team moving forward. And then he was able to add some guys this past year. Two of their top four scorers were graduate transfers, and obviously that is an area that Notre Dame needs to rely on in terms of it's ease of bringing in transfers as graduate transfers. So his ability to identify guys that are worth bringing in as grad transfers, and then obviously then convincing them to, to come to, to a place like Notre Dame, anyone who wants playing time, I, I know a spot for you. Like Notre Dame's got, got room. Uh, so I, I think he has that in his favor and it'll be uh, an interesting and exciting time to see what he, what he can put together for next season. I think the expectations for next season have to be very low. Um, but uh, just given the the complete overhaul of the roster that will be happening, um, and obviously past like a time where you're going to get a lot of recruits to add as freshmen, you're you're only going to be adding mostly transfers at, at this point. So, but yeah, I, li- I like the hire I, from the guys that we had, were like rumored as as potential candidates. He he was the one that I thought made the most sense, and that Notre Dame could go out there and get him for what was reportedly a seven year deal. Which 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 should have required some very competitive money in terms of what Penn State was willing to offer offer him because they knew that there was going to be competition for him. Um, this is a, uh, I think, a good day for Notre Dame men's basketball, and we'll see if we agree with that three years from now. But uh, he's going to need some time to sort of get things on the right track because uh, it's it's not a good state of affairs in terms of Notre Dame's roster uh, currently. All right, that's it for today's Football Never Sleeps. Uh, Eric is going to probably sleep here shortly because we were up very early, um, and we we normally stay up late, so it's hard for us to get to bed early. So when we have to get up early, that means we had, we didn't sleep very much. Um, but uh, we will be back next week for another Football Never Sleeps with more spring practice um, notes and news and observations. Um, we will let you know what that night will be. We don't have a night in mind yet, so make sure you're subscribed and sign up for notifications so you know when the next show will be. Um, and we have so much coverage on InsideIndieSports.com right now, including the Micah Shrewsbury news and all the other observations, the notes, the updates from today's um, first spring practice. So spend some time over there and on the Inside Lounge message board and have a good evening. <laughs>